I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, And this week, he set up a phone line for anonymous New Yorkers to say, I'm sorry, but became obsessed with the dangerous people asking for forgiveness. We'll review the apology line from Wondery. Plus, a woman tells police about her mother who ran a religious cult and the disappearance of a boy 30 years ago. We'll talk about The Followers, House of Prayer. Join me to get that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist Kevin Flynn, and he's also, by the way, the love of my life. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and resident actual pet detective, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. Can you just show me that coaster again that you showed us a minute before we started taping? What does yeah, it say? Yeah, super nice. It says... Crazy cat lady. (laughs) All right. Well, you're embracing it. I guess that's good. Finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Are you just now asking... Laura, if she's embracing the crazy cat lady. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm like six years late on that one, huh? Yeah, what does that say, Laura? What's that sign in your house? Yes, I really do need all these cats. You're like that yeah. skit on Saturday Night Live with the women giving each other the signs, like the inspirational signs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What does that um, say? What is that? Another coaster? Oh, it's a, it's a crazy cat it's, lady. It's, it's a, a flask. flask. Oh, wow. There's something in it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That I didn't put in there. Was God it cat pee? There. Let's hope not. Pod Podcast slapstick. Nice. Wow. Hey, can I just take this opportunity to give like a mild shout out at the beginning of the show? Sure. I would like to say thank you to all of the wonderful National Guard folks. I don't know. You call them guardsmen. Guardsmen yeah. uh, who are manning the vaccination sites, at least in this state and probably a lot of other states. I swear to God, Kevin, I went today to get my first shot, which is why I can't move my left arm. Oh, good. I thought you were having a stroke. (laughs) It's hanging over here all dead. Um, But I went today to the abandoned Sears (laughs) where you got your shot. And I just could not believe just the kindness and patience. I know these people have been standing there probably for 12 hours by the time I got there. And man, I think when you're in the National Guard, you either expect to like do nothing 
or like have to go to war. I don't mm-hmm. think you expect to stand in abandoned Sears for 12 hours helping people follow an arrow and stand six feet apart before they get their <laughs> shot. So if you are a member of the National Guard who is uh, helping out at your vaccine clinic, I just want to say thank you for your service. I've never seen anything like the patience of these young people who are standing at the at the vaccine place today. Yeah, no, I had the same experience. Like they're all super nice, super cordial and when I got my vaccine, it just, there was just like a nice, people were, everybody was kind of happy, you know, everybody mm-hmm. was just psyched to be getting the vaccine. So, um, yeah, I, I echo your thanks. Yeah, I've been working the vaccine clinics with Fireman Ken. And so I've been that person with the iPad that you were talking about earlier. And everybody that comes in, like, even when I'm having to like use two fingers to type in an iPad because it's a total pain, people are just so happy to be there, to yeah. be getting their shots. After a year of feeling like there's like nothing you can do besides just like I said, like, you know, wear your mask, take your precautions, don't be an asshole to people. It's really nice to see that part of the process and just see that people are still being kind to each other. That's right. Thank you, science. And thank you, people. And thank you, National Guardsmen who are and women who are helping us uh, through the process. All right. Should we go ahead and start the podcast? Let's do that. Leading off. This is a fantastic service that you're doing. It was um, a very tortured uh, yet dangerous sounding person. The world would be full of people like me if we just knew that all we had to do was just say I'm sorry and everything is all right. In 1980, Alan Bridge created a phone line for New Yorkers to leave messages to friends or strangers apologizing for the wrongs they've done. What began as a piece of conceptual art blossomed into a forum for both the contrite and the criminal. I witnessed a crime. I did not report it down in the men's room at Penn Station. I feel very badly about not reporting it. I would like to stop feeling the way I do about the blacks and the Puerto Ricans and the Chinese. I'm really sorry because I'm white and female and rich. I just wanted to say I'm sorry to all those poor souls out there that wake up black and blue the next day after I beat the shit out of them. Over the years, Bridge would become invested in the anonymous people who left messages. He would also find himself taking action, such as helping a woman in abusive marriage and hunting a man who claimed to be a serial killer. It's a long weekend coming up. Apology. I have four days off I am planning something. Guess you didn't give me enough homework. Wondery's six-part The Apology Line revisits Alan Bridge's art project turned confessional, narrated by his widow, Marissa Bridge, with help from cops and former callers. The podcast follows the artist's relationship to a social experiment, which grew to consume his life. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the Apology Line. So if you want to remain spoiler free, just go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Toby Ball. So Alan Bridge created this experiment as an art project, which was basically you could call in, listen to audio on demand of people talking about random things. Did he or did he not invent the podcast, Toby Ball? What do you think? Uh, It's very podcast-ish. Yes. So the podcast is like the perfect thing for this subject, right? Because I don't think like visuals would have provided quite as much as they normally do because so much of it is just people leaving messages and you really need to hear, especially when they start getting the messages from the creepy people, like the guy who says he's a Zodiac and Richie, who says he's a serial killer. Richie. And then 
Especially the weird guy at the end of the first episode who's like thanking him so much. Like I can, you know, I can apologize and everything's cool and I can just go out and do it again and not have any problems. And by the way, I'm going to kill you. And before I kill you, I'm going to say this little thing and then, you know, you'll know it. So that'll be your last second. I've never done that. I've never said I'm sorry to someone before I've committed to crime. I'm going to kill you, but I'm sorry. You know, I'm telling you right now, I'm sorry. So that'll make it all right, right? I mean, that was Robert Durst, right? 100% sounded like Robert Durst. Yeah, he was calling from the Wegmans parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, Kevin, this is really basically perfectly made for podcasting, right? This topic, the fact that they have all this material. I mean... What yeah. other genre could it have fit into that would have been better? Certainly not well, a cheesy yeah. HBO movie from the 80s. Right, yeah, because it is um, you know, an audio experience to begin with. So, yeah, it fits in here perfectly. And it's a really interesting sociological experiment, a little bit voyeuristic perhaps. And, you know, hearing that there's a, a backstory to the apology line, sort of a great hook as, as a concept. So it, it would be really hard to... I don't want to say hard to, I was going to say it would be really hard for Wondery to mess this up, uh, but I don't think that they did. I mean, there's like a day's worth of audio tape that they can pull from. So, More than a day, it, right? Well, I mean, it's got hours and hours and hours. So, yeah, so there's plenty of great raw material here. Now, Laura, this podcast is narrated by Marissa, Alan's wife, Alan's widow, and she has endless amounts of material, obviously, to draw from. But clearly, like, you know, she's not the person who necessarily made the podcast. Like, we don't know all of the inner workings. But what do you think about that? I mean, this she really is, you know, she has all this material at her disposal. This is a story that she was intimately involved with. How do you feel about Marissa being not just the protagonist of the story, but the narrator of the story? Well, I think having her as the narrator was actually a good window into Alan's life and having somebody, obviously, that that watched this unfold from the beginning through the end. What I struggled with is I felt like I wasn't sure if somebody else wrote the script for her because sometimes she sounded like it wasn't really natural, some of the things that she was saying or reading. And I felt like if they had let her relax and go a little bit more in her own words, I feel like it would have helped kind of bring to life her role in the relationship and the story a little bit better because she was there. She was the person that was there. But when she was reading some of the script, it just felt like she was falling into that narrator role that didn't really feel as connected. When Alan died, it was like an atom bomb went off in my life. Everything was just annihilated. I really wasn't capable of a lot of reflection. I was just going through the motions and trying to think about what Alan would want. Yeah, I sort of had the same feeling about it. It was weird. It was like, it didn't feel like they were her words. I mean, I don't think she reads poorly. I think that she was a good narrator in the sense that if you didn't know that she had a personal connection to the topic, that you wouldn't be able to tell that. So there's just something, some kind of connection. I don't want to say a lack of warmth. That's not right. It just doesn't feel... Was it a disconnect between this experience she describes and the way that they're written? No, just I think that I, I would have thought that there would be a little something more... It didn't seem personal in a lot of ways. Like, I wonder sort of about the authorial ownership here of the script. This is not somebody who is a professional broadcaster. So somebody who obviously got a lot of help putting this together. 
I don't know if what she's reading word for word was what came out of her own head. And like when we heard her on This American Life, she did admit that, you know, she kind of went along with what Ira Glass was saying. So she's like comfortable sort of letting other people tell her story, it seems, in a little way. So I don't know. I just it's it's not a put down. It just felt like that there was something I would have expected a little something else. I think, I, you know, I, I can't even put my finger on what it is. It just didn't seem like, oh, this is his his widow. It yeah, I, I'll yeah. tell you, I had the same impression. I actually like Marissa a lot. And mm-hmm. I think she does a really yeah, good job too. delivering the story. I felt like it was clinical in some ways. Like she was telling it as if she had been Alan's wife. We didn't really get, and we got moments, you know, when she talks about going and sleeping on the boat, when she talks about problems in their marriage that resulted from this project, when she talks about meeting him and being like dazzled by him. Mm -hmm. And when she talks about just sort of the pedantic mechanics of marriage, you know, like she talks when, when the episode where, you know, he's counseling the partner abuse victim, you know, she talks about how they talked about it before he went to go meet her. To me, that felt really real. You know, she was really there. And other times it did feel like, you know, there was a structure to this story. And, you know, there's probably a bunch of people working on this and that she was kind of going through the points. You know, the one thing I'll contrast it with is the uh, what was the OJ podcast with Kim Goldman? Oh, Kim Goldman, yeah. Who was there? And they their their solution was to bring in a journalist, and that Kim was going to be a subject. And then Kim was such a great narrator that mm-hmm. she kind of like became the narrator. Yeah. I would have loved maybe more of Marissa's riffing to be in the show because when we heard her riff when she talked to people. It was awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to put a cap on it, I don't think anything that Marissa said was inauthentic. No, no. I don't think it was not factual. I just felt like there was something about the performance that felt like somebody else had intervened and is saying, say this. Right. I've polished it for you. Say this. What do you think, Toby? I was just thinking that maybe if they just interviewed her Mm. and just played the interview clips and just had her responding to questions or whatever might have worked. Oh, I mean, instead I, of the instead of that, like that's what they did with the Kim Bolton thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I, when I do narration, it's very different than when I talk, for better or for worse. So I, I can kind of understand that it can be tough to like sort of come across in the same sort of offhand, free way that you do in conversationally if you're trying to read. Yeah. I mean, I'll say it's an art to learn how to write like you talk. It is an art, and it takes a lot of practice. And dumb example, you know, my son just put together that documentary about school funding, and he wrote it, and it was written beautifully. He read it on the page at work, but when he came down to the studio to read it, it was like, that's not how you talk. So one piece of advice I often give to people, and I gave it to him, was like, read the sentence, but then improvise the sentence. Don't actually read it. Like, say it how you would say it. It's, it's But it is an art to learn to write that way. So, Laura, this is all, like, pre-internet, right? And we hear later in the series about Isaiah, the kid who was helping Alan maybe get his project on the internet. But I was listening to this, and not only was I thinking, oh, it's like the first podcast, but I was also thinking, like, it's the first chat room, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was I was listening to it. I was like, oh, okay. So this is like when everybody goes on some online discussion board, and it's like, this is the online board where you come if you have something you need to share and get off your chest. And it just was kind of like, 
okay, this is how that evolved. And it was really interesting to see specifically, you know, thinking about it in that regard, like, okay, this is, you know, say you're going to like Reddit or say you're going to an online forum or say you're going into a Facebook group and you're discussing something that you all have similar and in common. And then to see with the apology line, how it went from just calling into the line from I loved the payphone, so you can't be tracked. Yeah, um, I thought that added some good intrigue to then being able to call in and listen and then being able to call in and respond to people that were on there. And so that just sort of expanded this network and the relationships among people. Like the similar, if you're on some sort of board and you're chatting about something and you're like, oh, this person has something in common with me. And you find like the same person is always responding to you. I felt like it was that same sort of dynamic once they open that lineup for people to call in and then interact in that way. Now, Kevin, we do hear in the podcast that the Apology Line collected all kinds of stories, uh, sex stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, interpersonal stuff, but it also ventured into the area of criminal stuff. You know, we hear people calling in, confessing to being muggers, confessing to being people with homophobia, confessing to being, you know, people who stole or Mm -hmm. and then we hear about Richie who uh, says he's a serial killer. And Alan develops this long-term fixation with and relationship with Richie and decides he's going to try to catch him. Richie is not evil. There is no good or evil. Your concepts of good or evil are concepts that were inflicted upon you at a very early age. You're just too vulnerable and too much of a sucker to give them up. What do you think about, I mean, the podcast went there and it obviously is something that happened, but I'm just curious about your like general thoughts about this Richie episode. I mean, you know, sort of, I, I would guess it would just be a matter of time running something like the apology line before you get uh, somebody who, you know, is going to confess an awful lot more than just I was, you know, mean to my wife and I cheated or something like that. But also, in the end, I think you have to realize it wouldn't be long till you get somebody who's a fabulist, who enjoys the attention. And I'm skipping ahead, of course, past the whole episode, that we eventually find out that Richie wasn't a serial killer. It was somebody who kind of, you know, wanted to seem interesting. Hmm. You know, that his own life was not fascinating enough. And so then you have like this relationship between Alan, who becomes fascinated with somebody who he thinks is, is dangerous. And then Richie, who's, uh, you know, addicted to the idea that somebody's interested in him. Hmm. And you think that's all it was? Because well, the cops seem to think that at the very least there was ideation and fantasy around murder with Richie. The cops seem to believe that Richie, whether or not he actually committed any of these crimes, and the cop seems to be sort of gray as to whether or not he thinks he actually may have committed crimes. But the cop seems to think that it wasn't just like pretend for attention's sake. It was pretend for fantasy and like ideation's sake. Like he wanted to do these mm-hmm. things and this was the way he got that. And in the past 35 years, did he become a serial killer? Well, I don't, we don't know. He, he's dead. He's dead now. So yeah, I guess, I guess we'll never know. Toby, what did you think of this Richie episode? Not the specific episode with Richie, but the Richie episode in the lifespan of this project. You know, it's just another one of the things that I think kind of points to how the internet has changed the way we look at things. You know, when I was listening to it, I'm like, oh, okay, this guy's totally full of it. He's just stringing him along. But I think that's informed by how much of that kind of fabulous hoaxer that goes on on the internet all the time with people. And, you know, this all kind of took place when I was in high school and college. And I don't think we had the same kind of understanding about, because this wasn't like this guy was broadcasting to like, 
hundreds or even dozens of people, right? I mean, Richie had the attention of a dozen people, maybe, yeah. like on the on the line. I it mean, was it wasn't intimate. that many people. I mean, we, we, should, and, we should say it was intimate. It was basically driven by posters hung up like in a couple of neighborhoods. It was very intimate. And then he did that thing where he'd have some of the messages at the beginning. So when you went to leave something, you'd, you'd hear a few. But it was still, it was a very, it was almost like a one-to-one thing. And so, yeah, it just, like this whole thing kind of feels like it's like right before the internet hits, but it feels like it's definitely from a different era. You know, the technology, the sort of assumptions that are made about things and how novel, I guess, the idea of I can sort of anonymously vent about stuff and somebody will hear me, which now, I mean, you can just freaking go on Twitter or right. whatever anytime you want and you can have thousands of people. It seems kind of old. Like we are trained now to think everyone is catfishing, right? But he wasn't trained <laughs> that way in the 80s. Kevin, what were you going to say? Well, I thought it was really interesting, you know, when you look at the point where he sort of came to this idea, you know, maybe I need to be a 900 number or something like that. I need to charge so I can make some money on this thing that I've been, you know, putting all these resources in and the reaction from the callers. And I felt, you know, I'm trying to figure out like why they would sort of begrudge him the idea of making money on it. But it was because I think the way they felt was the line belonged to them and that they would somehow be cut out of that. I mean, the difference between the 900 confession, apology thing that they were doing was that it was one way to somebody go and they say whatever. Kevin. But it's not the it's not the um, the community that he kind of built with this telephone. I can't believe you don't relate to that. This is like a podcast community. Like there's a whole thing where people listen to podcasts every time there's a change and like ads are added or the theme music changes. There could be like a little mini revolt, right? Laura, I want your thoughts on the Richie plot line because I could imagine that you would potentially really enjoy thinking that you're corresponding with a serial killer, a potential serial killer. You probably would also want to catch that person. What are your thoughts about that? Because it was sort of a central thread. I mean, I will say the podcast is beautifully constructed in that it brings the Richie thing to the very front and then it drops it for a couple of episodes and then it brings it back at the end, which I really enjoyed. Uh, But what did you think of just his obsession with it and all of that part of it, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. I would be all over that if I was Alan. And I can think of times when I was, you know, newspaper reporter, and you you know, you have somebody calling you and you're like, is this person credible or not credible? And sometimes you have the same person calling over and over again. And it's a similar sort of dynamic. But I think for me, the Richie plotline, I was like, not that I want people to be dying, but I was kind of like, ah, that was kind of a letdown when we find out. But it was also, I think, really illustrated when Alan starts to spiral into an unhealthy level of obsession with the apology line. And I feel like the Richie calls and trying to find Richie and possibly going to go meet Richie in the park. When that started, that's when he went from feeling like, hey, this is going to provide a service and maybe be rewarding to people and having that like lighthearted moment at like a dinner party where he's like, you guys want to hear the latest calls to Yes, Zen. I do. If anyone else out there has a service like this, invite me to your dinner party. I will 100% listen to those calls. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it went from that to, you know, then Richie enters the picture and then Alan just sort of, I feel like spirals into, you know, he's losing personal relationships. He's having problems with his marriage. He's not making money because he's obsessed with this. He's lashing out at his wife and he's sort of jealous of her and her artwork. So I feel like Richie was a catalyst for 
maybe tipping the scales of this project from something that could have been interesting to something that maybe wasn't the healthiest outlet for Alan. Now, Toby, I have a question about that because Marissa does hint at other issues in their marriage, right? She does talk about like how her career took off and that he had this spike in his career when he started this with the show and the movie deal and stuff, but then he was sort of stagnant. The podcast ties that sort of his like decline into depression and his eventual death, which, you know, they don't in any way intimate was self-inflicted or anything uh, with this project. And I found myself thinking like there were probably a lot of other things going on (laughs) besides this project, but I don't know. I mean, Toby, what do you think of the way the podcast sets us up to think about Alan and and the journey that he took and his ultimate death, which, by the way, is in the first episode. So I don't feel like it's that much of a spoiler. We learned that he died. So, uh, Toby, I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. I guess I had two reactions to it, one of which is I think one sort of false note in this is that I believe that they set it up and kind of continue this idea, sort of hinting at the idea that somehow this project was in some way responsible for his death. And I kept waiting for most likely him to go to a really dark psychological place and the consequences to that or possibly being hurt by somebody who ends up calling the line or something, but it turns out to have nothing to do with any of it. So it just didn't feel quite right at the end. The other thing is I kind of wonder, are there other stories to be told? Like, could you have told a different story here? Like, could you have told a story like, oh shit, New Yorkers are just obsessed with sex and they just had all these calls about sex and let's listen to some calls about sex. You know, so when I was listening to it, I was thinking about... um, there's this book that was put out by this guy, Robert Frank, or maybe it was an exhibition that was turned into a book, but it's, it's a very famous uh, series of photographs. It's called The Americans, and I think it was the 50s and 60s, but they're black and white, and they, they have this sort of feel to them about America, about some kind of alienation, and it's very atmospheric. And I was reading this review, and people have this idea, like, he captured something about America. And and the guy in the review was like, I oh, have to take a look at all the photos that he had. And it's really just about picking the right photos. Yeah. You know, he had plenty of photos of people smiling and laughing and stuff, but he chose to pick those photos. And I was kind of wondering about that, like, does the apology line kind of take attack of, like, the super dark side of things when, in fact, you could have done five other topics and just had a very different outlook on who was calling in. Like kids, kids who are apologizing for doing something, you know, at home that that's kind of funny or what have you. So I uh, agree. I found myself when Isaiah was saying that he basically called the apology line to whack off, like it was a titillating for him. He didn't say that. He didn't that. say that, but that's what you're saying. That's 100% <laughs> what he meant. He was 15. He was like, it was, I called it because it was titillating. I'm like, yeah, he whacked off. But anyway, anyway. Uh, like there could have been an episode about like the sexy stuff. There could have been, I, I agree. It could have been structured very differently, but it all kind of was around Alan and his storyline and what happened to him. Laura, how do you feel like we were sort of coached throughout the story here? Do you think that we were being led that way? Yeah, I actually had a similar sort of feeling. I was saying like the setup to Alan dying, the way that it was set up that he's going diving alone and he didn't go with her and all that. I'm like, oh, because he's like, I felt like they were setting us up to feel like he was going to kill himself. And I, I felt like that was sort of, um, I don't want to say it was like a cheap shot, but it was like kind of, you know, I felt like we were kind of duped a little bit. And there, there was maybe a different way to tell the ending of the story without being left with the feeling like, huh, 
That wasn't the type of twist that was like a good twist. That was sort of a disingenuous twist. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't want to belittle the fact that Alan didn't die by suicide or did die by suicide. He did die. But I, I, I do think there were hints dropped along the way, and I didn't Wikipedia it, that it could have been related to the line. Um, Kevin, I have a question for you before we do our review. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many people, because we hear about Alan after Alan's death, they had this big memorial in Strawberry Fields and all these people showed up. What was the hook here? Why did people call the apology line? Well, there's why people called and there's why people called to listen in again, right? Because it seemed like it became a two-part thing. It wasn't just me leaving an anonymous message. It became people listening into other people's messages when he started stringing together different clips and his responses and whatnot. And in the end, it kind of became like, you know, a long Facebook string just without somebody finally calling someone a Nazi, right? But I think people didn't come for the confessions. They came for the sins, right? They wanted to hear what they're confessing about as opposed to somebody like expressing their remorse for having cheated on their husband. They want to hear a little more about the juicy details of you know, what happened or the shock at what the next person is going to confess. You know, I don't think that they're there to have this cathartic moment with a stranger as they get it off their chest. I think it's a little more voyeuristic. And I think that's what the appeal was. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the Apology Line? It's a podcast from Wondery. It is all out. So you can binge it all right now. It's six episodes long. It's not a super long listen. I'm curious to know, panel, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Should our listeners check it out? Laura Bricker, what about you? Um, I'm going to go with thumbs up. I thought this was really interesting. Um, I think, you know, if your husband is dead and you have all these tapes in your attic of this apology line that he ran in the 80s and 90s, I mean, my God, like it's like calling to be made into a podcast. And there's some really interesting phone calls. There's some really interesting stories of how this line evolved. And, you know, there's things I would change, but I think overall it was unique compared to a lot of the kind of -of run-of-the-mill true crime stories we hear. And I I thought it was really fascinating. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the apology line? Yeah, I I give it a thumbs up. I liked it a lot for a lot of the reasons Laura said. I I think it's evocative of a certain just very pre-internet moment. And the tapes that they play, I mean, they're they're real, man. They're they're in some cases quite raw, and I thought that made it compelling. Yeah, so thumbs up. I, I thought I thought it was really good. Kevin Flint. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up here. Uh, as everyone said, it's a very different kind of podcast, but really intriguing. The concept of what he was doing and the fact that we would sort of go along and hear sort of uh, the greatest hits of the apology line and to find out its history. We have to know this is a wondery podcast and there's some restraint in the beginning. There was a lot of noises of cassettes and a little thunk, but that sort of leveled off and And party noises, the party noise. Yeah. (laughs) The the sound effects, as we always say with wondery more is more. The criticism that I'd throw out is I feel like they tried to polish the narration so much that it took away from some of the potential authentic performance from that narrator. Hmm. So in any event, it's still a thumbs up. And uh, I would tell folks they should listen. Yeah, I give it a thumbs up, too. And I was surprised because I saw a lot of like kind of mixed stuff about this before I listened to it. But I'll agree with Toby. It's a perfect story to tell in a podcast medium. It's well constructed as a single story. 
I will say, though, I think this story had a lot of potential to be a multi-season story instead of one episode each being about some facet of this. Like season one could have been about the Richie stuff. Season two could have been uh, about, you know what I mean? Like, you could have actually done a lot with this. That they, She could go back and just pull random stuff. I'm saying, and be, yes. you could do thematic five-episode seasons about so many different things. And the listener could know that Alan died, and the listener could know all these things. But, like, think about it. There could have been a whole season about what happened in their marriage. There could have been a whole season about not just that one domestic violence story, but, like, the many times that that happened. Um, one of my favorite calls that I thought had the most potential to be explored but wasn't, and I would love to hear more like this, was the woman who called and said, I'm sorry because I'm rich and I'm white. And I was just like, <laughs> how many of those fucking ones did they get? Like, <laughs> And what that made me think of was there's a whole other like story that could be explored here about the pre-gentrified New York which they get into like a little but not a lot. You hear about this huge loft they live in in Chelsea or whatever, and it's like, yeah, no one can do that anymore. I don't know. A lot of interesting stuff here. I actually do like it, and I my if my criticism is they should have done it differently so we could hear more, that's probably not a bad thing. Thumbs up for me for the apology line. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. So, here we are in the business section of the podcast, Kevin. How does that go? Wow, it's the trumpet version of the business music. So, Kevin Flynn, it is the business section. What do we have going on on our Patreon today? Well, we have the Crime Writers on After Show, and it's a little special one. I'm going to be talking with our friend Rabia Chaudhry. Something interesting happened in Maryland. They passed a bill called the Juvenile Restoration Act. You guys remember when we talked about Suave? Mm-hmm. One of the big things that happened there is that Suave was a juvenile convicted to life in prison. But there was a Supreme Court decision, and the states had to come up with a way. Like, how, do, how are we going to address uh, these juveniles who have been given life sentences? And so Maryland is the latest state to address it. And this may have implications on the Adnan Syed case. As you remember, Adnan was a juvenile, though tried as an adult, right? 
He was a juvenile at the time. He was arrested for. He was him. wrongly labeled as an adult. Wrongly labeled, right? He was right. seventeen, but they said he was eighteen in the filing. Yeah. So, I mean, could this have an implication on whether Adnan eventually gets out of prison? So that's what we're going to be talking about in the after show. And you're talking to Rabia. Yeah. I mean, as we should say, as we've taped this, you haven't talked to her yet. So it's going to be good, though, right? Oh, come on. It's going to be a barn burner. It's going to be a barn burner. <laughs> you got to gossip with her about some other stuff, too. Kevin, what else do we have going on in our Patreon right now? And we also have the latest edition of Leave It to Bricker. Nice. You know how we have Married with Podcast? Yes. Well, Laura and Fireman Ken made Married with Vaccination Clinic. What? In a vaccination clinic. Is it I forget. sexy? It's not sexy, sexy, but they have a really great talk. You were talking earlier on about like the guardsmen and guardswomen who are there to help people. Ken is in charge of all of that for his community. Yeah, yeah. And he talks with Laura about the way that it came together and the things that he's doing. And Laura talks about how she's contributing. And Laura, I think it was a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, Ken is usually kind of reluctant to take part. And I I hit him up um, after one of the long clinics. I said, listen, this is really interesting. And also, I'm really proud of you for what you're doing. So, I mean, my goodness. It is hot. So it is sexy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's it's good. And he's um, continuing on. So we're, you know, it's it's definitely a longer one than normal. But I think it's totally worth it. And I'm going to have a follow-up. We have a lot of Crime Writers On listeners who are helping out in their communities. So stay tuned. Oh, cool, cool. By the way, Laura starts with kind of an apology that she says when she talks to Ken that she gets all giggly. Yeah. I don't apologize for that. It's I th- hot. I think that's a sign that, <laughs> you, you know, how much you love him and how much, what he how he makes you feel. I am obsessed with Laura and Ken's relationship. I'm obsessed with it because <laughs> Laura says there's this whole long-suffering Ken thing. And then she always, like, talks about Ken on the show like he never is interested. He doesn't want it. Think about the number of times on this show where she's like, well, Ken, who's not usually into this kind of thing, sat down with me and watched the whole thing. Yeah. That happens all the fucking time, Laura. I the know. reason he sits down with you and watches it is because he loves you, Aww. and that is hot, and you need to embrace it. I'm embracing it. We're watching Men in Kilts right now, so. <laughs> mm. Oh, that Scotland travel yeah, show. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so fun. <laughs> and speaking of hot, we also have Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Always hot. Super hot. And if you haven't already, check it out. The latest book that they uh, talked about is We Keep the Dead Close. Ah. And by the way, as I mentioned to Toby, there is a character in this book, a leading suspect in a murder. Yeah. And I worked with his son. (gasps) Yeah. For real? Yeah. Yeah. Remember the coincidence about uh, Lady in the Dale? About how that guy, that weird guy, who ended up being the father of Tucker Carlson? Yes. This guy that you're talking about, Toby, his son is Carl Cameron. Oh. The reporter on Fox News. He actually gave me my first job in radio. Oh. But his, that's that's his, you know. His dad's uh, a murderer? Well, I don't want to give the book away. No, he's not a murderer. Just another big red herring. But uh, Carl's name is also Carl Lambert Karlovsky, and you can see why they shortened it for radio. He's a character. Yeah, they both are. What's his dad's name? Carl Lamberg Karlovsky. Carl McGuffin? Carl McGuffin, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, I guess that's not the spoiler-free section of it's the- It's okay. Uh, it's totally fine, Toby. No one's going to read the really fucking book. It's a really good book. They listen to your podcast to hear you talk about a book. They're not going to read the book. Don't worry about it. It's fine. A lot of people do. I know, I know. So, Kevin- um, Strangely. Do we have a new Mary with podcast coming out soon? Yes. All right. And do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Yes, our Patreon patron saints are Candace Took and Morgan Case. 
Bless you. Bless you. Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, can I say one thing? Of course. We have a frequent questioner for Married With Podcast, somebody who's answered, asked a question for almost every episode mm-hmm. we've ever done. Right. Relationship issues. They're all about relationship issues. And that listener just got engaged. Yes. I cannot wait for the future Married With Podcast material about the wedding planning, the angst, the family bullshit, all of it. Is Congratulations, the wedding going to be on our listener. Patreon feed? It, it should. <laughs> crowd ca- it's a crowdcast, crowdcast invite. It. Crowdcast yeah. wedding. I mean, this was literally a listener who was like, should you can I, object to the in the in the should chat my bar. boyfriend be able to sleep over at my house with my parents? And it was like we have the whole thing. It's all been documented. Yeah. I cannot wait. All right, Kevin. Should we wrap up the business section? Now? Thus ends the business section. I'm going to fade that music out. Moving on, Your Honor, uh, Miss Young. Is, finds herself charged with perhaps the most unusual set of crimes I've ever worked on, and the evidence that's attendant to those crimes is also similarly unusual. This case is 30 years old. There is no body. A few years ago, a Florida woman contacted a cold case detective with information about her mother. Decades earlier, Anna Young had established a cult-like church where a facade of religious devotion obscured a life of fanatical brutality for the group's many children. I was lying on the couch. I remember it was a couch with a yellow cover on it because by the time it was done, like the whole couch was just covered in blood, (laughs) in my blood. A girl in Mother Anna's care died after being denied her seizure medication. A boy was taken to Puerto Rico to be abandoned. And her followers believed a toddler who mysteriously vanished from the house of prayer had been adopted, but he was never seen again. He claims that one night around that time frame, when I was rocking and I woke up and he's trying to start rocking, I was crying and I told him that Moses is dead. I saw him dead in a laundry basket. The followers, House of Prayer from UCP Audio, tells of life inside the sect and covers Mother Anna's legal reckoning. It also explores some of the social issues around why black people would be drawn to cults. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for the followers. So to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. All right. Now, Toby, this podcast is a hard listen, right? Yeah, I you know, I I found this very difficult. I thought it was just sort of relentlessly bleak. It might be a little bit early to jump into this conversation, but I without being disrespectful to any individual suffering, it does get to the point where it's just like, all right, I don't know how much more insight I can get to anything by hearing another freaking awful story about some kid getting tortured. Mm. I've got a bunch of kind of issues with this, but one of them was just sort of this drumbeat and like every episode's a name. And after like the first couple, you're like, oh shit, like that's the name of some kid who had something horrible happen to him and probably died. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, Toby. It was intense. And I felt like they had a lot of material, but the first episode sort of promises to give you this like big picture, like how did this happen? How did it like not get caught for so long? And they might have told us that, but I got so caught up in these like god awful stories. I mean, it's like we had the girl who had to sit in the boiling water with the bleach. We have like the little boy who they say was like burned in a barrel or something after. I mean, it was just horrendous. And so I had a hard time following it because it was just kind of got mired so much in the stories that I don't feel like that big picture promise from the beginning, for me anyway, was delivered on 
And it was a really, really hard listen. Now, Kevin, the podcast is hosted by Layla Day, but it also features an investigative journalist, Beth Karras, who Mm -hmm. reported the story originally, which is an interesting format because I found myself thinking, like, why isn't Beth Karras just reporting the podcast? I mean, we know there's probably some production stuff that explains that. But I I love your thoughts just sort of about the structure of it, because I did find myself thinking, like, there's a lot of journalism here. But the story, like Laura and Toby said, is very difficult and is kind of like story after story after story. But there are like threads that I would have wanted to catch on to. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, by the way, I, I like both of these hosts. I think that they so do, I. they do a good job here. It's a difficult podcast to talk about because, I mean, there's some right solid journalism here. They got interviews with uh, a lot of people who opened up and told very difficult stories. And that's always good. But it's. Maybe it is its bleakness, but it doesn't like crackle in any way. It it just seems more like long form radio journalism versus narrative audio telling. If that's something, I mean, I think there are places where this really takes off and it's interesting, and in other other parts where you kind of gird your loins. It should be difficult to hear because it is a terrible set of crimes. We shouldn't blithely move through it. Like we can't really say we want something entertaining. But I just say, like, I wasn't rushing to get to the next episode because I wanted to get another dose of child abuse. Now, let's talk about Joy. So she is one of the central characters in the podcast. She's Anna's daughter. And I think the podcast sets it up so beautifully where we hear Anna in what this is like an unfortunate, I think, just structural thing. We hear Anna tape of Anna at the beginning, Mother Anna at her daughter Joy's wedding, just like giving a speech. And it sounds like normal and wonderful. At this point in the video, with the camera tight on her face, Anna looks into the lens and then up to the heavens. And I just pray that you and Joy will not allow nothing, nobody, anything to come between you. The podcast led me to believe that normalcy was before the craziness. We find out later that normalcy was after the murders and craziness. And so there's like an interesting sort of like arc here that Joy is at the center of. But she's not, mm-hmm. to me, as present as maybe she should have been throughout the whole thing. What do you what yeah, do you think? Yeah, thoughts? I mean, I think this really ought to be Joy's story. And I don't feel like she's at the center of it, especially since I don't think we get a real good sense of who Mother Anna is just beyond her crimes. I think where it does really kind of take off, and we do have that strong opening tape, but we also have this tape with Joy working with a cop where she gets to interact with this guy and he says, yeah, you know, this is messed up. You're not a bad person. And and then they go to this house and just the emotion she has and that's all captured. I thought that that was really moving. And I think that was one of the better parts of the podcast. I can't open the door. I'm open the door. This spot has been the center of Joy's nightmares. This is where she last saw Moses. Now, Toby, one of the things um, I appreciated about the show, I'm not sure maybe it was a little buried, and I'm not sure if the average listener would make it this far if they weren't, you know, super brought in by the subject. I did like how they tried to explain 
whether or not characterizing this as a cult might be difficult because there is a very interesting historical context to why in the black community church is so important. And there's this long historical passage here about the social safety net that church provides in black communities because the government doesn't and society doesn't. And in a world where you feel othered and less than, the church is the place where you don't feel that way. And so you, I kind of got why Mother Anna's church that's providing child care and giving rides to jobs and sort of that social safety net would be appealing. I wonder, though, if the podcast does a good job connecting that history to what actually happened in this church. What do you think, Toby, about that connection or lack thereof? Yeah, well, I thought it was really interesting, the uh, the educator they had who was talking about that stuff. You know, because in some ways it's similar to other cults that we've looked at in that it's both providing a place, but also able to kind of couch things in ways that are appealing to people that you're reaching out to. But it's just it's just a whole different set of concerns for that population. But I again, like you were saying, I think that one of the things that was missing is that, at least for me, I didn't have much of a sense of like what was going on there when they weren't torturing kids. Like these people who are there for three years or was five the upside? years. Is that what you were or wondering? whatever? It's like yeah. what do you do with your day? You know, what what was going on? You know, I don't have a sense of what the physical place was like or what kind of relations that people had outside of Mother Anna and stuff. So I, I sort of felt I mean this felt like kind of a newspaper article hmm. and that there wasn't sort of the richness. And that's what made it really hard to understand. Like, at what point are you willing to, like, dress your your little boy up as a girl and fly to Puerto Rico and then leave your kid there and then fly back? I mean, that's a big leap. And I don't think there was anything in that story that was like, oh, yeah, well, I can't understand it, but I can see how it happened. Right. Like, I don't think they even approached that level. It was sort of this happened. And that's a storytelling issue, right, Laura? I mean, that's how I felt was like... I love what Toby said just now about, like, I don't know what the place looked like. Yeah. They talk about people working. They don't talk about where they work. Unlike other stories we've heard about institutions like this, you know, think about Wild Wild Country or Heaven's Gate, like, you get a sense of why it's appealing, which I think we do get here, but then also what is like when you're there, which makes you stay. Like, did Laura, did you feel like that was missing? Oh, absolutely. And I can't remember if I put this in a note or not, but I actually went and looked up some newspaper articles because I felt like, I guess I was missing, like, why why would you stay if all this horrible stuff was happening? And I have to say that the newspaper article I found, which was like whatever the regional paper was out there, actually was a wealth of information and it had a picture. It's just like a house. So it's like a house with some little outbuildings, like a normal looking house. But House of prayer. Yeah. But then that even had some information, more information, which, you know, things I thought was interesting, like. I guess I missed the part about Anna having a husband who died. With the one who died under the truck? That was in the podcast, yeah. Lara. <laughs> yeah. I tuned out a lot of the podcast because it was too awful it to listen hard. to. It was a hard listen. Yeah. Um, but there was some context of like her daughter talking about how that was sort of like the tipping point. And then there was also something I thought was really interesting was they did describe the jobs people had and what people were doing there. But where people are now in their life that live there and how their relationship with their faith and with God was affected because of this. And 
I thought that was interesting. So yeah, there was this big, for me, piece, like there was like a disconnect of like, this does not even sound like an appealing cult. Anna does not sound like a charismatic cult leader that I would want to follow. She sounds like a fucking evil person. And I just felt like I needed a little bit more about that to really understand why these people were doing these. I mean, the guy like castrates himself. I mean, like, why are people doing these things? Kevin, what do you think about that? Like, did you feel like there was a disconnect there? Well, I I was just, I mean, I think that the point that these guys are making is that with cults, there's a bait and switch. And I just don't think we understood what the bait was. Mm. And we certainly got the switch. It was child care and security. I I think I understood the bait, but I didn't understand the, I mean, to me, it sounded like, and this is probably not what it was like, but this is what the podcast made it sound like. There was great bait that you have faith, Mm -hmm. you have a community child care you have you know all the social safety net stuff like come live work in this bucolic community but usually when you hear a cult story there's a thing that once you get there it's also great right mm-hmm. and it just sounds like these people arrived the way the podcast lays it out they arrive they're immediately separated from their kids and it's super shitty from day one right so we miss that like is anna so wonderful and smart like we're we don't hear anything about what Anna was like as a leader, except for the fact that she was abusive. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm thinking of the other thing that we listened to by UCP, and the title is going to escape me, but it was the one about the kid who escaped from the tough love camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was also filled with a lot of rough descriptions, but it also had some other things around it that made it light. And like, if you think of a painting, you can't have dark without light and light without dark. And this just seemed like it was very dark. And whatever light there was just kind of didn't break through. So when you, know, you say that, light, you don't mean fun. You mean I like don't, I a, don't. The, like what would have drawn people to X? Like in that in that podcast, I mean for the listener, something yeah, yeah. A, a kind of safety, a that break. little relief, a yeah, break. something like that. Yeah. I can't tell you what it was. I can't tell you that they should have had more of him or less of her or whatever it was. But I just the result is a very heavy examination of these people's lives that the journalism is good. The storytelling is hard to take. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with that, Toby? Yeah. I mean, it's again, I mean, I, while, while Ken was talking, I was just thinking when the guy in Heaven's Gate, when he agreed to be castrated, uh, when Jonestown, when they when they drank the flavor aid, that's right, Toby. That was accurate. It was not Kool Aid, as yes, is often it said. F- it's flavor aid. Yeah. Good for you. Kool Aid got a bad on the historical on that one. details. All right, um, but you know, in these instances, you know, there's this long period of building up to this sort of religious frenzy. Isn't quite the word, but this this sort of intense religious feeling and. You don't get any sense of that in this at all. You know, I didn't get any sense that this is a community that was living like feeling like they were on the edge of some kind of religious breakthrough or, or anything like that. I mean, maybe they were, but it just doesn't seem understandable. And maybe that's part of what made it seem so tough to take is that there was no contextualizing. There was no, why is this happening? It was just like, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And then I, you know, I reflect on this and I wondered why I wasn't better in this situation. And it's like, well, unless you can give me some kind of insight into why it was happening, all you're doing is just listing off atrocities. And I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. Right. Laura, I want to ask just a final question about Joy, because, um, you know, 
I am fascinated by the fact that post-Taos of Prayer, it seems like after some investigations and stuff happened, like everyone just sort of like moved on. And Anna was just like living a regular life where she got to be the mother of a bride at a wedding and it was fine. And then Joy started having this self-reckoning and all this guilt. And then she decided to turn her mom into the cops. I'm curious just what you think about that. I found Joy to be, again, like should have been like the connective tissue here. But Mm -hmm. like I found that to be very like awesome. And hearing that call that she made to the cop in particular where she does that. What did you just think of of Joy's actions here? I was all for Joy's actions here. And I think that listening to her coming to terms with what happened and, you know, when she was younger, when it was happening, not realizing the extent of just how wrong and how awful and horrific was. And then, you know, as she's an adult, she starts to sort of see the rest of the world and see how things operate outside the house of prayer, you know, coming to that point where she just can't stay silent anymore. And I think the detail that stuck with me was the family members that wouldn't talk to her, that basically were like shunning her now because she had come forward. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with those people? Like, Like when you hear what actually happened there, that they wouldn't also be supportive of holding Anna accountable for what happened there just really shocked me. But I was like, good for Joy. Can I just ask you another question, Laura? Um, I found myself also wondering, like, this is kind of where having the motivation missing, I really feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, we had this very moving interview with this woman who admits that she was a party to abandoning her two-year-old child in Puerto Rico. And she's been looking for him as an adult. Like, she's been looking for him ever since. When we got over to Puerto Rico, um, Adam... I told Adam, I said, we can't leave him on the streets, I said. Take him to church. Because I knew somebody would find him if he was at the church and take care of him. I really empathize with the woman. She's obviously in a lot of pain, but like, I found that particularly difficult to listen to in this podcast. Yeah. When I heard that particular scene and how she was given the instructions not to hug him and not to touch him, and then they go to Puerto Rico and she goes through with that, I'm like, I get to freaking Puerto Rico and be like, see you later, crazy Anna. I am not coming back. And my son and I are going to find somewhere to stay down here. Like, have a nice time at your crazy house of prayer. No, thank you. I, I just couldn't grasp how... And I understand, obviously, she came to horrendously regret what happened and tried to make up for it for the rest of her life. But how could you, as a mother, I I just, even when you're being brainwashed by this and and abused by this woman, just like leave a little two-year-old on a bench in a church courtyard and be like, oh, have a nice life. Yeah, but see, that's what I'll say. We say, how can you... There is there is a how, and we didn't hear it. Yes, like, you know what I yes. mean? Because I didn't hate the woman. I was just like, I want to know how you got there, yes, if that makes sense. That, yeah. Exactly. That's I guess that's what I'm getting at, is because I just couldn't fathom how somebody could bring themselves to do that. And it wasn't right. clear to me what her complete thought process was at that time. All right. So I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out The Followers House of Prayer? It's a new podcast. Uh, it is a short series, not super long to listen to, but a difficult listen. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Followers House of Prayer? 
Um, so this is a subjective thing. Uh, you know, obviously, journalism went into this, and they've got extensive sourcing, and they've got a lot of people connected to this case that are included in this podcast. But you know what? We're a year into a pandemic. The world is kind of, I mean, even though we're coming out of it, it's a difficult place. I just couldn't handle listening to these just absolutely horrific descriptions of child abuse and details of what people went through in this podcast. I just felt like there was an opportunity to tell a bigger story that maybe wouldn't have been as difficult, but I just can't suggest somebody go listen to this right now because it's just it was just not something that I enjoyed listening to. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Followers, House of Prayer. I sort of echo everybody. The journalism is really good, and I think it's necessary. As far as the podcast goes, I, I just I can't give it a thumbs up. I just feel like there's got to be something more than just story after story of this. I, I just, in the end, I was like, what am I supposed to, what, what's my takeaway from all this? You know, besides that it was just a horrible thing that happened. How is this? Do I have any understanding of how or why or or, or some greater idea of what was going on there? And and I just kind of felt like I didn't. And there was, I mean, there was some interesting stuff in there too. I I did like the expert they talked to, and I, I thought some of the stuff he talked about was was super interesting. And if he has a book out, I would like to read it. But uh, if you decide you want to listen to it, just you know, when they say it's a difficult listen at the beginning, I mean, they give you a warning. And uh, yeah, it's a hundred percent. I think this is about as tough as anything we've listened to. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I, I don't like giving something a thumbs down that has quality journalism in it. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up for that. But I'm also going to agree with everybody in saying this may not be your cup of tea. Look, I don't know exactly what it needed to lighten it up. I don't know. In a perfect world. Maybe they do the thing where they follow John to the store and watch him get a Snapple or whatever the hell, and that adds some light to what is a really dark thing. In the last podcast we talked about, the complaint was we thought maybe it was overproduced or that the production crew had a heavier hand in shaping it than maybe the narrator would have done on her own. And I feel like in this case that maybe there wasn't enough guidance from these journalists coming in with like really important audio tape and the way that they frame it and set it up, I, I don't know if that would have made a difference. In any event, I'm giving it a very tepid thumbs up because that part is solid, but it's a rough go. So I agree with everything that all of you said. And what I want to avoid here from our audience is the idea that because something is difficult, you shouldn't listen to it. That's yeah. not true. I can think of podcasts off the top of my head that were as brutal at their heart as this. Uh, Missing and Murdered, Through the Cracks, Believed, a podcast about systemic sexual abuse and molestation by Larry Nasser. It was like story after story yeah. after story. Or Canary. Yeah. And the way they handled it in Canary. There are was, so yeah. many podcasts that we listen to that have horrible and brutal systemic crime abuse against children. I mean, we have listened to stories Stories like this before. So this isn't about us not being able to tolerate this kind of story. Um, like you, Kevin, I'm really torn. I, I think I'm going to go with them sideways, which I kind of rarely do. I like the general structural ideas here. I like the idea that they framed each episode around a kid. I think that that was a good idea. Uh, 
But the connective tissue is missing. The the whys are missing. The hows are missing. The what it felt like, what it looked like is missing. The interviews in this are great. The voices are great. But I am missing the the empathy. Like I'm missing the understanding, not the empathy. Like I feel a lot of empathy for the characters. I'm missing the understanding of the how. Yeah. And that is a really important part of this. And if I'm going to use believed as sort of like the the comparative, very, very brutal podcast, which was difficult. The how there is they spent a lot of time talking about how Larry Nasser kind of like got in and how this all worked and how the kids ended up in that position. And that helped. It sort of helped to understand that even when this and this and this was happening, he was also seen as likable by people over here. I don't know. That was missing here. Joy to me was the key of it. The daughter Joy would have been the key to that. And there wasn't enough of that. So thumb sideways for me, for the followers, House of Prayer. Man, it's it's a tough one. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. For the past seven years, Italian officials have been looking for mobster Mark Farron Claude Biart. He was accused of smuggling coke for the mafia before dropping off the map in 2014. Investigators caught a break when they identified Biart making cooking videos with his wife on YouTube. They tracked the fugitive to the Dominican Republic, where he was picked up last week by Interpol. Though his face never appeared on camera, cops could make out the tattoos on his arms while he was rolling out pastry or stirring the gravy. Now Biart is on his way back to Italy, where his goose is surely cooked. Panel... Here's my question for you. Making cooking videos on the internet is not a great way to keep a low profile. So, Laura Bricker, uh, what comment would you leave on his YouTube channel? Um, how about, should have added a touch of garlic, keeps the vampires and the popo away. <laughs> <laughs> Joy Ball, what about you? What comment would you leave on Biart's cooking YouTube channel that the cops used to catch this guy? I would have asked him for his recipe for stool pigeon stew. Nice. Uh, what about you, Kevin? Uh, the comment would be, cool story, bro. Can you make anything out of crushed Pop-Tarts from the commissary? <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. We should probably edit on that. Now, before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week. I love this. It came to us from Trina McQueen Rain in our Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. And she says, this is the female cat named Jonathan Toes the Cat. And nice. They adopted Jonathan Toes the Cat to help our son Declan with his animal phobia. He picked her name to annoy his three sisters. He has never touched the cat, but he can now go to a friend's house if there is a cat in the house. So Jonathan has done a good job. Unfortunately for Jonathan, there is currently a bird stuck in our chimney. Can a cat have a stroke? Asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Jonathan Toes the cat. Man, I want that kid to touch that cat. That's just so sad to me. Well, and I have to say, I kind of related Trina to this because when my son, Will, was younger, he had this mascot phobia. And so... That's totally rational. <laughs> a lot of people have mascot phobias. No, Will, you are not alone. So, like, we went through this whole, like, desensitization thing where we had to, like, sit in the freaking Chuck E. Cheese parking lot once a week and, like, to get Clara. <laughs> what? <laughs> Real question. Wouldn't it just been easier just to avoid mascots? Like, how many times in your life are you confronted by a uh, you, mascot? You would oh, not. You would be surprised. You would be surprised. <laughs> Every ski area had the mascots. They were everywhere. Oh, so I appreciate, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, mascots, animals. But I, I was like, you know, I know what it's like as a parent to try to help your kid get over things like that. So I. So help me, God, we will go to Disney World. <laughs> oh, it was big when we went to Universal. Oh, my God. That was, like, huge. So my favorite one is that Philadelphia one. What's that called, Toby? The Fanatic. Yeah, I love that mm. thing. The the main Red Claws have got two uh, mascots. And then I think in like half the games I've gone to, there have been like mascot shows at halftime where it's like mascots from other franchises or yeah. like traveling mascot shows. What the um, fuck are the it, main Red Claws? Like, what is that a baseball team? Like, what is that? <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm not kidding you, Toby. No, they're like uh, they're like the Celtics minor league basketball team. Ah, uh, got it. Got it. Like, got it's it. the NBA farm league. If you live near Portland, Maine, it's the best sports value around. Nice, nice. Games are awesome. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I just maybe, that, maybe that'll be my sports podcast. Will be the uh, the NBA development league. Podcast. That, that would actually be a very <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's our, Toby, it's, it's fertile territory. Toby, you are onto something, and I'm not actually joking about that one. Uh-huh. All right, Laura Bricker. If folks want to reach out to you to submit their animals of their weeks that their children have not also touched, uh, besides emailing us at crimewriterson at gmail or putting a comment on our Facebook group, how can they find you? Say, I don't know, on Twitter, they can find me at Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say, yes, Toby Ball, a podcast about the Basketball Development League would be a fucking awesome podcast. My friend Maureen, I'm sure, would love to produce it. How can they find you on Twitter? All three of you can reach me at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, Kevin, that's a really cute red hoodie. You should wear it every week. How can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our truly amazing and safe community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And you will get four podcasts right now. The Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball 
Bell's Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the extremely handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine podcast is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where love means never having to say... I'm sorry. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. So that's it. So we don't have to record super long tonight. Yay. That's exciting. Which is good because my arm hurts and I'm a giant baby about it. Uh, Why'd you get your shot? Oh my God. My arm hurts so fucking bad. I can't lift my left arm right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm reaching over. Which one did you get? Moderna. Oh, yeah, you're screwed. <laughs> Shut up. Why? That's the one with the well, that's the one with the mark of the beast that you got. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get the mark of the beast. Of the beast. <laughs> yeah. I, I was fine. Kill 666 on the Yeah. I already have it. Look at it. That that's how the government's going to track you down during oh, the end times. It's the one with the microchips that Bill Gates put in. That spider 100%. bite that you had yep. last week was actually the mark of the beast, Kevin. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But I got anyway, Pfizer and that's totally that's totally Kevin Got okay. Pfizer too. I mean, I don't want to like rank them. And by the way, this is a, a none of these people are our sponsors. But seriously, no. everyone seems to think when I was at the place today, I heard all people in line around me like, "Which one are we getting? Which one are we getting?" And they're like, "Oh, it's it could be this or it could be this." And everybody was like clamoring for the Pfizer. And I'm like, "It's okay, guys. It's not. It's not. You're not really elite if you get one." And not the Vaccine other. envy. Yeah. <laughs> is it 95 percent of efficacy versus 93 percent efficacy? I don't know. It was. I don't Partners in Crime Media. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.